0: Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey, welcome in, everyone. We are continuing through the book of Revelation and we are getting into the crazy stuff. This is the stuff movies are made of, right here, Rob. We are uh, looking at the seven seals that begin in Revelation chapter six. Um, but man, this is, this gets kind of nuts here, right?
1: Well, yes. And uh, as I said to you before that, you know, when I was teaching this as a young person or whatever, and commonly you see in a lot of the popular ideology that this is considered the good stuff. And as I think about that, I'm like, oh, this is sad for the fact that in the popular understanding of the book of revelation, the seven seals, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls represent three series of judgment. This is what the popular world thinks. Three series of judgments where God's wrath comes upon the world at the end times, maybe in the last three and a half years of human history. The people are given boils and plagues and famines and death and destruction, all, of course, because God loves them and wants them to repent. And so those who are spared are supposed to repent. And those ones who don't repent, well, they deserve what they get. And then they think that's the good stuff. And I'm thinking, where do you get the idea that, A, that's what God's like, he's inflicting suffering on people so that they might repent and B why in the world would you consider this the good stuff? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's just tragic that, that we come to this and go, this is the good. And it's like, no, 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 this is not the good stuff per se, but I think there's something great that, that's going on in terms of the God's grand story, but I digress, but you,
0: not, not the first, not the last <laughs> you're, you're in the alpha, you're the alpha and omega of digressing no way dude we are we are co-equals yeah right hey so where's a good remember that time that you all right so where's a good place to start when we want to uh just look at what's happening here uh in in the story
1: i think the best place to start is let's read the chapter so we're going to read um revelation 6 1 through 17 and if you're listening if you're not listening don't pay attention right now yes (laughs) i like that if you're listening As you listen, though, just listen as though the text is being read and you're an ancient person in the first century church and you're hearing the text out loud and listen for the transitions in the story, changes in the story, and let the the sound and what you hear affect your heart and affect your emotions. Don't try to figure things out. Just kind of listen carefully for structure and things and clues, textual clues that John's going to embed. So you want to read, Vinny? Sure. Uh,
0: Chapter six, starting at verse one. Yeah. Now I watched when the lamb opened up one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of uh, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice. O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig trees shed its winter fruit.
1: Now, it's good to be re- reminded, as we've said before, that we're dealing with a story, and in the story there's progress. So as far as the story is concerned, that we discussed last time. The Father has a, is sitting on the throne in chapter four. In chapter five, he's got a scroll in his right hand. John looks and sees no one's worthy to open the scroll. He's told, don't worry about it. The lion from the tribe of Judas is able to over, has overcome and is able to open the scroll. Jesus is, of course, the lamb that was slain, and he is worthy to open the scroll. And now in chapter six, he's beginning to open the scroll. And he's going to open the scroll incrementally now it's important to note that as he opens the scroll he's incrementally he's not revealing the contents of the scroll a little bit at a time some people think that the seven seals are actually the content of the scroll and it's mm. an ancient scroll it's rolled up and sealed up with seven seals you can't read page one until all seven seals are broken at the same time now the scroll is important we don't know its contents until it's totally opened. But remember, we know that the scroll is important because, remember, John begins to weep because no one's worthy to open the scroll. Jesus has overcome and he was slain, so now he's worthy to take. The scroll is central to what's going on, but we don't know its contents until all the seals are broken. Hmm. So
0: what you're not saying is that John just saw this vision and wrote what he saw, because like what you described, this isn't a literal thing that's happening, Uh, and even... This, was, this is a helpful imagery for me. We're talking about the seals breaking on a mm-hmm. scroll. If there's multiple seals holding this thing together, it's just like if you have a front door and you might have multiple locks, you have right. a dead yeah, lock. Yeah. You also have maybe like the chain lock. If we were to look at that, you wouldn't say, I opened to the chain lock. We, we might for effect, you know, in a, in a weird type of story if we were telling it. I opened the chain lock and then this is what I saw. And then I opened in, in right. the front door and then I opened the deadbolt and this is what I saw. Like, no, you can't open the door until every one of these locks is open Right. And the same. Literally, this is what would happen with a scroll. And yeah. so, uh, you know,
1: yeah, you, you could so, see part of the first page when the first six seals are broken in the sure, seven. One. Sure. Cause you can kind of see inside, but you can't even see the end of the first page yeah. as it, as it appears. And again, pages are, are, uh, you know, columns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is really like the way he's even displaying
0: the story Mm -hmm. to us. This is a literal masterpiece in the way he's like crafting this.
1: Yes, exactly. So we've noted a number of times now that John's going to use certain words or phrases or titles seven times or 12 times. And it's obvious that he was counting. Now, I know that I was raised with the idea that, okay, John saw a vision and he just wrote the vision down. In fact, he's told throughout the vision, write what you see in the book. So, okay. But the reality is, it's really obvious that even if he wrote at the time of the vision, let's just suppose it's an actual vision, which that's fine with me. And then he's actually taking notes during the actual vision. That's fine. He went back later on. Remember, he said, I was on the island of Patmos in chapter one, verse nine. He's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. He was there. So he takes the notes that he wrote and now he's compiling them together and writing the manuscript itself. And the manuscript is a masterpiece. And, you know, just look at the way this this chapter flows. He says, verse 1, the first seal is broken. And he says, when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, I heard one of the four living creatures say. And then he breaks the second seal, I heard one of the four living creatures say. And then he breaks the third seal, verse 5. I heard one of the living creatures say. And then he breaks the fourth seal in verse 7. And I heard one of the four living creatures say. And then in the fifth seal, when he broke the fifth seal, I saw So all of a sudden, you see this literary transitions, and we'll discuss this a little bit more as we proceed, but there's uh, just a literary masterpiece behind this. And here's what's interesting. We're going to digress a little bit for a second, Um, because I want you to understand that this is not unique to the book of Revelation. The biblical Mm -hmm. writers were were unbelievable how they did this. So if you go to the book of Genesis, for example, you're going to see the phrase, and God said, and then there was evening and morning the first day. And actually, Mm -hmm. the literary markers in the book of Genesis chapter one, that's how The days are marked. Each of the Mm -hmm. days begins with, and God said, days one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Each of the days end with, and there was evening, and there was morning, the X day, the first day, the second day. Of course, the seventh day has no evening and morning, which is interesting. It doesn't end. Now, you'll note by the the fact that in Genesis chapter one, and God said occurs 10 times. Hmm. And then you'll note that the phrase, let there be light, or let there be this, let there be this. That occurs 10 times. You note that the phrase, and it was good, occurs seven times. The title God, which is Elohim, just a generic word for God, occurs 35 times, which tells you that the number five is important because 35 is seven times five, even if we don't know exactly what the significance of the five is. Uh, This is interesting. The very first verse, and again, they didn't have verse numbers, but it'd be the first sentence in Hebrew, has seven words. The second verse, which is the second sentence in Hebrew, has 14 words. I mean, it's obvious he's doing this. The word earth occurs 21 times. And it was so, seven times. And God saw, seven times. The verb to make, 10 times. The verb, uh, the phrase according to its kind, 10 times. I mean, it's just, it's obvious the importance of repeating a certain word or phrase a certain number of times. And the biblical writers do this all the time. It's just, it's crazy how often this occurs. I think I mentioned to you that uh, well, I, thought I should make a book with like all the times it's mm-hmm. seven occurs. And then I realized, okay, there's no way you could make a book like this because it's way too often. It's way too massive. You'd have to be an incredible expert on the book of Genesis just to come up with all the times seven occurs in the book of Genesis alone. And it would take you 10 years to find them because some of them are just are hidden. Oh, then you see another one. And there's no way you could do this for the whole biblical text. So ancient writers wanted you to see this and the way they crafted it. And it's a literary masterpiece. And it actually is important to understand the way he's crafting this so that you can see the significance of what's happening. So then, looking at the number seven and
0: connecting that to the seals, is John doing something specific with uh, saying, I, "I want you to know that the seven seals are significant"? Uh, or is this something where would would that just be a standard number of seals on a scroll anyway?
1: Well, it would be a standard number of seals on a scroll of an ancient Roman will. So, okay. so he's using that imagery, which tells us that the scroll is God's will, or God, you know, God's plan for redemption there. But clearly he has seven trumpets and he has seven bulls also. And mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. seven trumpets might remind you, of course, of the ancient city of Jericho. They mm-hmm. blow seven trumpets, but the seven bowls I don't know that they have any. They might have a, a, an Old Testament parallel. I'm not a, I'm not thinking of it right now, but I think it's just the significance of seven as perfection or completion or totality uh, there. So the thing about the seven seals, though, and this is actually going to be important to recognize that it's going to be a little tricky when we get to the seven trumpets. And that is when the first four seals are clearly set apart from the last three. Mm. And the the trumpets do this also. And it's important to recognize that. So I kind of already mentioned a little bit. When he breaks each of the first four seals, John hears a voice of one of the four living creatures say, Come. And then the second one hears the second living creature say, Come. Third one hears the third living creature say, Come. And the fourth one hears the fourth living creature say, Come. But the fifth seal he saw. Not only that, but each of the first four seals, there's a rider on a horse. And it's a rider on a white horse, a rider on a red horse, a rider on a black horse, or depending on your translations, and a rider on a pale horse or ashen horse, depending on your translations. So you see the first four are clearly set apart from the fifth, and, and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh. So it's an, it'll be important to recognize that literary feature of the first four seals and then the separ- separation of the, of the last three. So the first four seals then have a rider on a horse, one of the four living creatures say come and some kind of devastation you might say takes place we'll discuss that as as we proceed the fifth seal which is clearly the the snake now and they're also distinct because they get longer right the the fifth and sixth seals the descriptions of them are much longer the first four seals each of them take two verses in our english bibles the fifth seal takes three verses in our our english bible and they're just longer the sixth seal i think it's six verses in our english Mm -hmm. bibles and it's much longer and then the seventh seal, of course, is going to come later in chapter, in chapter eight. The fifth seal is, describes the people of God who respond, how long? Oh, the mm-hmm. souls of those who are slain and they're under the altar. How long, O oh Lord? The sixth seal describes the nations. And just like the fifth seal, the people of God cry out, how long? The sixth seal, the, the nations cry out to the mountains and the rocks to fall on us in from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So clearly the fifth and the sixth seals are kind of parallel with one another, and they're contrast. Once the people of God and once the nations both are crying out, one to the Lord and one to the rocks and the mountains. The, s- the seventh seal occurs in chapter eight. Yes. And we'll discuss that more as we proceed. Earlier you had
0: alluded to that you don't think the seals of God are, are God's wrath upon this right. world. You you said a lot of people do think that. And it makes sense that you uh, you know, you look at the the last verse of what we read, chapter six, verse 17 for the great day of their wrath has come and who okay. can stand? Because uh, okay. it it's talked about the wrath of God and the one of, of the one seated on the throne and the lamb.
1: So why, why are you not taking it in this way? All right. So the popular understanding of the book of Revelation, the Hal Lindsey, Left Behind series, all that Tim LaHaye and the popular understanding that's become very popular in our churches because our pastors kind of were raised with this and don't, don't speak up. And there's a lot of things that are going on with that has this understanding that this is God's wrath upon the world, as I said before, and that God's wrath comes in stages. It gets more intense. The first four seals, but the set of seals affect one fourth. And then the seven trumpets affect one third and the seven bulls affect the whole. And so the idea is that God's bringing his wrath, but only in parts because he's giving people the chance to repent. This is the popular understanding. Now that popular understanding when it comes to the seven seals is not widely accepted in the scholarly community. Mm -hmm. The scholarly community is like, no, the seven seals, this is not God's wrath per se. You alluded to the sixth seal that says the great day, the wrath has come. Mm -hmm. There's no question that the sixth seal is an advanced leap to the final judgment. So that's, that's the final judgment. And it's the day of wrath. The fifth and sixth seals are the people of God crying out and the nation's crying out. So we need to separate them a little bit as far as the narrative or the story is concerned from the, from the first four, but the first four, seals and i'm going to argue the trumpets and bowls also are not god's wrath for a number of reasons now by the way i know some scholars uh, obviously in the book in revelation studies and i was sharing with them a little bit of my thesis and they're like oh that's fantastic I- i'm with you with the seven seals or with the first four seals that it's not god's wrath but how do you figure out the seven trumpets i haven't been able to figure out the trumpets because i really read like it's God's wrath and plagues and boils upon the earth uh-huh, to, uh-huh. to get people to repent. He's like, how'd you figure it out? Cause I can't, you know, I'm like, yeah, I figured it out. And so I haven't actually had a conversation with him to share with him my findings uh-huh. yet. But I would say that a, a good number of scholars would agree with what I'm going to say here about the seven seals, or at least the first four in particular, a lot fewer of them are going to agree when it comes to the seven trumpets, just because I don't think they've seen it. I just don't think they have. I really believe that. When my commentary gets out there and the podcast here gets out there and we begin to discuss and people begin to wrestle with it, maybe in 5, 10, 15 years, it just takes that long to make changes Mm -hmm. in this academic world, people are going to start changing their minds. I think more people are going to come along. I'm not the only one. So there are others who have said things along these lines. I just have developed and expanded it and elaborated on it more fully than, than they have. But here's the deal. I argue that the book of Revelation is a love story. And I don't think we should be surprised at that because the Bible is a love story. And I find it interesting that we realize the Bible is a love story for God to love the world. He gave His one and only son, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. Yet most Christians go to the book of Revelation and think it's about God's wrath and his end times wrath. And we reconcile these two. God is love, 1 John chapter 4. It's God's kindness that leads you to repentance in Romans two, verse four. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrates his love for us. Romans five, eight, we have all these verses in the Bible that indicate God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion. And then somehow we go to the book of Revelation and go, it's about his wrath. Mm -hmm. And he's going to inflict all these boils and plagues and death and famines upon you so that those who survive, at least will, will learn their lesson and repent. And my initial response is that's what Rome does. Rome crucifies victims on a cross on the main road, naked and leaves them hanging on a a cross for days at a a time because they want everybody passing by to see you so you'll know whatever happened to him, whatever he did, I'm not going to do. That's how the nations rule by power and by force and not Jesus. You know, David Barr, who's become one of my favorite scholars in the book of Revelation says, he says, the moral issue I face concerns the overwhelming use of power to coerce obedience. If God triumphs over evil only because God has more power than evil, which he does, the uh, bar says, then power, not love or freedom or goodness or truth, is the ultimate value of the universe. So the question is, does God use power and force and plagues and death and destruction to coerce those who survive? I love you so much that I killed your eight-year-old daughter and gave her boils and plagues and suffering. And, you know, so that you will learn the lesson and repent. I just don't see how that works. I I don't see how we can reconcile that. And people go, well, I can reconcile that because it's justice and we are all sinners and the ways of sin is death. And when God's killed the eight-year-old daughter and spared you, it's because your daughter deserved to die and and you got spared and and God's lovingly sparing you. So you'll repent. I'm like, I'm sorry, I I understand how you can try to reconcile that, but that doesn't make any sense to me. And that doesn't seem to fit with that clear revelation of Jesus who clearly comes and says, God is love. And the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus does things out of love and compassion. In the book of Revelation, he comes with a sword out of his mouth. And as we'll get to in Revelation 19, his garments are stained in blood before the battle, before the war. It has to be his own blood. And I don't see a violent God, as we've discussed before in the book of Revelation. I think the biblical story tells us otherwise. And so I think we need, we need to think otherwise. So one more, one more uh, reference here, and that's this. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus and the disciples are heading to Jerusalem. Now the disciples think they're going to go to Jerusalem and Jesus is going to become the king, which, of course, he is going to become the king. They're, they're right, but they don't understand it. And they think he's going to become the king and he's going to overthrow the Romans and establish a Jewish dynasty and a nationalistic empire for us Jews. And maybe you Gentiles can like, become Jewish and kind of come in, but he's going to punish the Romans. And he's going to pay him back for the Romans, and the Greeks and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Egyptians in the last 2000 years of empires that have devastated us. This is going to be so great. So James and John come up to Jesus. and This is in Mark chapter 10. James and John in verse 35 come up to Jesus and say, hey, teacher, we want you to do a favor for us. And Jesus like, well, what do you want me to do? Verse 37. Uh, hey, can we sit on your right and on your left when you come into your glory? When we get to Jerusalem, can my brother and I have the seats of power next to you on your right hand and on your left? Now skip down to verse 41 in Mark chapter 10. On hearing this, the 10 became indignant with James and John. The other 10 disciples are like, oh, we should have asked first. How mm-hmm. could they, you know, and you got to imagine Peter's going, Hey dude, you got to know I'm the one that sits on the right. How are you trying to preempt my response, my authority mm-hmm. and my privilege and take that away from me? Why are you, you know, I should have asked first, if I known I needed to ask, I mean, they were indignant with James and John, but Jesus explains to James and John, Hey, Hey, look guys, you know, verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. And then he says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? The word cup is a metaphor for suffering, but they think, oh, yeah, the cup, I yeah, sure we are, verse 39. Of course we're able to. In verse 38, she said, can you be baptized in 38 with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Oh, of course we can. And she's like, well, you know what? You will drink my cup, and you will be baptized with the baptism with, with which I am baptized, verse 40. But to sit on my right and on my left, that's not mine to give. It's for those to whom it has been prepared. Now, what's interesting is the phrase one on his right and one on his left is identical in Mark 15, verse 27. It says, they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. What James and John were asking for was to sit on the right and on the left of Jesus when he gets to the cross, but they didn't realize he was asking to sit on, to get get crucified. So Jesus is like, you know, you don't know what you're asking, sorry. That's, uh, those positions are reserved for the ones to whom the father has ordained it. And then he says this, chapter uh, 10, verse 42, and this is actually what I think what I wanted to get to. Chapter 10, verse 42. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, rulers of the nations, the kings of the nations, they lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But this is not the way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so I find that the way of Jesus's kingdom and the whole message of the entire new Testament is fundamentally at odds with the way the popular world reads the book of revelation. And so, but we'll go into this more and more as we proceed, especially as we get to the, to the seven um, trumpets, but let's go a little bit further here in just a few minutes in terms of why I think the seven seals are not God's wrath.
0: Hey everyone, we want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast and we want to remind you that everything we provide at Determined Truth is free of charge and this even includes all of the teaching that Rob does on a weekly basis to pastors in India and around the world. We don't have any supporters that get special behind the scenes access, but we can only do this with the generous support that comes from those of you who can afford to give. So if you would prayerfully consider supporting us with anything from $5 a month or more, we will continue to work hard to challenge the church to be the church. To give, go to DeterminedTruth.com and click on the Give tab or follow the link in the show notes. Yeah, well, it's, that's what I was going to say. If they're not God's wrath, what are they then? Because hmm. I, I just, it, you know, okay, yeah, I, yeah. as I'm reading it, it's, it just seems like it's wrath.
1: Yeah, like, I, and it totally, and I totally understand. Mm-hmm. And again, it's one of those things you read it that way and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. So here's the reality. The seven or the first four seals, there's really not the seven seals because no, by the way, the fifth seal, there's no wrath that happens. The fifth seal is the souls of the, those who are slain, which is mm-hmm. the people of God who are killed, crying out how long, O oh Lord. So it's not the seven seals and the six is the final judgment. That's fine. So, and the seventh, of course, leads us to the silence, which is what happens at the final judgment. So well, you can even say real the quick. Then you, yeah, you just said
0: the sixth seal is final judgment, which means. If this is happening in the, in the end of chapter six, we have all these other chapters. Yes. We don't really see final judgment stuff till chapter 19 and 20 and that sort of thing. So right away, if if, if your assertion is that yeah, yeah. the sixth seal is final judgment, then this book is not in order.
1: That's correct. It's a story and it's leaping mm-hmm. forward and it's going backwards. Mm-hmm. So let me actually answer that before I answer the, uh, the, the previous question. So if you go to the seventh trumpet, which is Revelation chapter 11, the seventh trumpet, And my point's going to be this, the seventh seal, and in this case, the sixth and the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl are all the final judgment. And -hmm. I'll make a connection with them later on. I won't get into the details of that that right now. But look at the seventh trumpet. Now, remember the seventh, the series of bowls comes after the series of trumpets. So the seventh trumpet's like not the end as far as the story is concerned, but look what it says. Verse 15, the seventh angel of chapter 11, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were voices in heaven saying... The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and they will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God, verse 16, fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, who are and who were. It does not say the one who is, who was, and who is to come.
0: It's interesting. In the ESV, it reads who is and who
1: was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, who yeah. are and who were, same thing. Okay. Is and was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Are okay. is just plural and were is just plural. Okay. Is okay. and okay. was are singular. Yeah, same yeah, verbs. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So we give you thanks O Lord God Almighty who are and who were because you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign. And verse 18, the nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged. And they give you the reward to your bond servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God in heaven was open. This is the end. The seventh trumpet is is the end. So, and this is another literary feature that we'll describe in more detail because there's another thing that we want to add to this discussion. And that is the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bowl all clearly bring us to the end. But even the seventh bowl is not the end of the story because you still have the narrative of the Babylon and the final judgment is not narrated until chapters 19 and chapter 20 with the great white throne judgment. So it's a story. And now another example of that, also Vinny, by the way, is chapter 12 clearly goes backwards in time. Mm-hmm, so if the yep. seven seal, trumpet, and bowl go forward in time, the chapter 12 goes backwards because it goes back before the birth of Jesus. I saw a mm-hmm. woman, and she was about to give birth to a child, and the dragon stood before the woman so he might devour her child the moment was born. And the child, it goes on, I think it's verse 5, to quote Psalm 2 right? He will rule all nations with an iron scepter. The child's Jesus. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm that's applied to Jesus throughout the book of, uh, of Revelation and the New Testament, although it's also applied to the church in the seven messages. Mm-hmm. So uh, the point then is the book does go back and forward a little bit. It's a narrative that's moving forward, but sometimes it, it moves forward by leaping to the end and then continuing on. Right and okay. Now let's go back and continue where we left off, and mm-hmm. then it leaps to the end, and then and then it continues on. So now the question was, if the seven bowls are not God's, I'm sorry, if the seven seals are not God's wrath, then what are they? And the answer is, and I think this is true for the seven seals, trumpets, and bowls. Although the bowls I might um, nuance a little bit, each of them are describing the inevitable consequences of humanity's rule apart from God. Let me see if I can explain this. The fifth seal are the souls under the altar going, how long, O Lord? Meaning, why have you not brought the end yet? Why have you not brought justice to those who have been slain yet? So what that indicates is that the first four seals are there's a delay. God's not bringing judgment yet. He's not bringing the ultimate vengeance yet. There's a delay. And they're like, why not? How long are you going to wait? And they're even told, not yet. Rest for a little while longer. Now, the re- problem with God allowing for a delay is that human rulers remain in power. And when human rulers remain in power, what do they do? They bring death and destruction, famines, wars, bloodshed, and death. And with the seven seals, or the first four seals, and we're going to see this in, in Mark 13 in just a second. That's the parallel passage, which definitely confirms that this is what uh, this, the first four seals are conveying. What they're conveying then is what happens in the interim. And that is God's mercy is I'm not bringing judgment because the nations haven't repented. I'm calling God's people, the church this is where it is relevant to us. I'm calling you to go out and witness to the nations because the nations need to know who I am. And until the nations have been, until the nations have been redeemed. I'm not bringing the end yet because the nations will walk by the light of the new Jerusalem. The problem is that means the nations stay in power. And when the nations rule, they bring death and destruction and pestilence and famine. And people, God's people are like, well, how long? How long are we going to endure for all this? Because the other thing is, when God sends his people out to witness to the nations, the nations do to the, God's people what they did to Jesus. Mm-hmm. They kill them. Mm-hmm. So does that, that help a little bit? Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, it, uh, earlier when you were reading, yeah. uh. In, in the breaking of the seven seals or the six seals that we went through, I, I kept hearing Romans one language where mm-hmm. God gives people over to their sin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't, Is that what's happening with the seals where it's describing the consequences of what happens yes. uh, in, in a Pauline kind of way?
1: Exactly. So Romans one says, I think three different times. And I think it's Romans one twenty four and 26 that God gave them over to do those things, which ought not to be done. And it's Genesis language. It's cre- It's like Adam and Eve, and this is so imp- very important. Adam and Eve choose to rule by their own wisdom or the wisdom of the serpent, which, by the way, that's the temptation of Jesus. Whose wisdom are you going to listen to? The serpent's wisdom or God's wisdom? And God said, don't eat from the tree, which I think means don't eat from it yet because they needed to eat from it eventually. The serpent says, oh, you can go ahead and eat it. Don't worry about it. Adam and Eve go, you know, it looks good. It's pleasing to the eye. It's good for food. And she took it and she gave it. The next chapter, what happens? Cain kills Abel. When humanity makes its own decisions and decides to rule for itself, it causes dissension amongst uh, humanity. So Adam and Eve all of a sudden realize they're naked because they're no longer one. Mm -hmm. And human rule brings death and destruction and famine and all those kinds of things. So yes, absolutely. Absolutely
0: i know for a long time I, I was very familiar in life with the all of it discourse yes. uh, and yeah. it is popularly taught in matthew 24 and 25 mm-hmm. but I, I would say the the origin uh story is mark 13 uh mm-hmm. the, it being the first gospel and whatnot yeah. uh, but oftentimes uh this story uh, especially in mark 13 it's it's connected to a final judgment type thing it's right. you know in, in even to the breaking of the seals and whatnot I don't remember when we went through the gospel mark it was so long ago and that's back when we only spent 3 weeks going We spent through. 4 weeks
1: in Mark one of the weeks was with a guest so yeah with, we, did, yeah, yeah, we yeah. did Mark in 3 weeks Yeah so uh,
0: I don't remember if we actually uh, talked about the all of it discourse there but is there any kind of end times connection between Mark 13 and the seals
1: Yes absolutely and this is why I am uh, I don't know if it's a majority but I know a good number of scholars would agree with what I've just said. That the first four seals are not describing God's wrath. They're describing what happens when God delays his coming and allows humanity to stay in power and human mm-hmm. rulers bring deception and death and, and warfare and bloodshed and famine and, and things of that nature. And the reason why that is clearly the case here with the, with the seals, though not as clearly the case with the trumpets, as I said, like, how would you figure it out with the trumpets, Rob? And I'll get there. Is because of the parallel in Mark thirteen and Matthew twenty-four. So it's also Luke seventeen and kind of Luke twenty-one. We call it the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and it's popularly popularly. I, I, that's a hard word for me to say. Can you say it, Vinny?
0: Uh, why don't you just keep practicing it? Right? Okay.
1: <laughs> All right, thanks. That's your way of saying no. I can't do it. Uh, popularly, popularly, okay, popularly. All right, All right, popularly. So that that word there. Popularly understood stop right. <laughs> understood as Jesus's sermon about what's going to happen in the years prior to his return in the dispensational popular understanding of the end times it's this all of a discourse of Mark 13 Matthew 24 describes the last three and a half or seven years of human history. That's not what's happening at least not in the beginning of the chapter. and I do have a chapter on mark 13 in my book, Understanding the New Testament in the End Times. So there's a chapter dedicated to this discussion. But let's go to Mark chapter 13 for a second. Well, it might be more than a second, but it's a figure of speech, and you know what I mean. Uh, And the context is that Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the temple. And actually, it goes back to chapter 11. He went into the Mm -hmm. temple in Jerusalem, and he looked around, and he didn't see any fruit. So he overthrows the money changer tables, and he curses the fig tree because it had no fruit, because it symbolizes the temple has no fruit. They weren't bringing the nations into it, making it a house of prayer. At the end of chapter 12, uh, he sees them devouring a, a widow who gives two small copper coins. And that's all the money she had. And Jesus is like, what are you guys doing? You're in, This woman's already in poverty and you're making her give all she has. And now she has no money for food, which by the way, is not how we commonly read Mark chapter 12, because mm-hmm. we think Jesus is praising the woman. And he's mm-hmm. He's not condemning the woman. He's condemning the religious leaders who make this woman who does not have enough money for bread give a donation in the treasury to fund their enterprises, by the way, to fund those in power. So then in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, as he was going out of the temple, that's the setting. Now, one of his disciples said, verse 1, look at the beautiful buildings and stones. In verse 2, Jesus says, look at the stones. Yeah, well, not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. So he's talking about the temple. So verse 3 now, he's sitting on the Mount of Olives. That's why we call it the Olivet Discourse. Opposite the temple. It's on a, it's on a hillside, and you, you look to the west, and you see the Temple Mount. And it says, and James, uh, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And the these things be is the destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus says in verse 5, see to it that no one misleads you. Verse six, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. And as we get to discuss the first seal, that's the first seal. Uh, Right on a white horse who's deceiving. And it looks like it's Jesus, but I don't think it is Jesus. It's deception. The second seal, verse seven, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be frightened. That's the second seal of Revelation chapter chapter six. Those things must take place, but that is not the end. What Jesus is saying is, there are going to be a lot of false Christs and false prophets. Don't listen to them. That's not me. There's going to be a lot of wars and rumors of wars. After all, that's the nature of humanity. By the way, that's not prophetic and like Jesus, oh, Jesus says there's going to be wars at the end time. Yeah. There's always war. Warfare is the nature of humanity and the nature of human existence. Verse 8, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll also be famines. That's the third seal. It's, this is clearly the order of things that Jesus reveals. These things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs, but be on your guard. They'll deliver you to the courts. You'll be, verse 9 now, you'll be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. Verse uh, 10, the gospel will be preached first to all the nations, which I think is the fifth seal. When they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand about what you were to say. But whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it's the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against his parents and have them put to death, and you'll be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The fifth seal is how long, O Lord? How long are we going to suffer? So what Jesus is saying, at least at the beginning of this sermon, we won't get to the end now, we'll discuss that another time. At the beginning of this sermon to his disciples is, The destruction of Jerusalem will not be immediate. There'll be a delay. And during that delay, you're going to have false Christs and false prophets saying, oh, I am here. Don't listen to them. You're going to have wars and rumors of wars. That's not a sign of the end yet. You're going to have famines and death and pestilence. That's the third and fourth seal. That's not the end. You're going to be persecuted and imprisoned and even killed. That's the fifth seal. And yet that's not the end. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. And that's the answer, as we'll get to later. And the fifth seal, how long, O Lord? And the answer is not everyone who's been slain, for the gospel has been slain yet. And what I will argue, as we go through the book of Revelation, is that the killing of Christians and the proclamation of the gospel to the nations goes hand in hand. Hmm. You preach the gospel to the nations, and they kill you, but you die and rise again, this is Revelation 11, and the nations are converted Because God's people faithfully, lovingly, sacrificially laid down their lives for the nations. So the parallel of this sermon in Mark 13, and it's kind of in Matthew 24 as well, and the seven seals, at least the first four, if not the first five seals, clearly indicates that the seals are not giving you signs as to what's going to happen in the latter days, but are simply indicating that God's delay in bringing his ultimate justice and ultimate judgment allows the nations to remain in power and they bring false teaching and false ideology death famine pestilence and destruction hmm okay wow Mic drop conclusion Mike, seriously, Done. Yeah. <laughs> take that wrap it up there you go
0: i just had to get that in there there you go what are some other uh key things that we could take away from the account of the seven seals and?
1: Yeah, before we look at the seven seals, and there's a, a couple of a couple of things to point out. The first thing is this: those who suffer from the destructive behaviors unleashed by human rulers and their lust and their lust for power are primarily, not exclusively, but primarily, the poor and the marginalized. Hmm. Think of it this way: there's a war going on in Ukraine, and the war's been going on for a year and a half now. And I don't think Vladimir Putin's lifestyle has changed any bit whatsoever. He's eating the same food he ate before, the same plush meals. Now, you might say the leader in Ukraine might not be doing as well as he was before, but he's still doing pretty well, but certainly not very well comparatively. But Putin's eating the same meals, eating the same food, sleeping in the same luxurious bed, in the same luxurious palace. War affects by far the poor and the marginalized and those who are oppressed. Famine as we'll get to in the third seal affects the poor and the marginalized and even says in the third seal, don't damage the oil and the wine, but the barley and the grain have had exaggerated rates of inflation. The barley and the grains are, are staple foods for the poor and the mar- for everyone, but especially the poor and the marginalized. The oil and the grain the oil and the um, wine are objects for the rich and the wealthy. Mm-hmm. I think you see in here that it's the poor and the marginalized that suffer more than more than others. The second point is this. There's a mistaken conception. that It kind of goes with this whole package. Okay, this is God's wrath, which it's not. But the popular idea that this is God's wrath, and they draw the parallel from the plagues in Egypt, which I can understand why they do that. The trumpets certainly seem to have the plagues in Egypt in mind. So not the seals, but the trumpets do. Yeah. And in the plagues of Egypt, they did not affect the the Israelites. There was darkness in the land of Egypt, but not in the land of Goshen. There were flies all over Egypt, but not and frogs, but not in the land of Goshen. So where the and Goshen's where the Israelites were. So the idea is in the popular world that these things are God's wrath upon the world. He kills your eight-year-old daughter so that you'll know to repent and things of that nature, which I have a major problem with, obviously. And the fact, however, is that these things don't affect God's people. But the reality is in the ancient world, most Christians were part of the poor and the marginalized. And that's why the fifth seal is God's people going, How long, O oh Lord? Because they're suffering also. So, this is not God's wrath. It's what happens when God gives mercy and delays his wrath. The nations stay in power, they wreak devastation upon humanity. And the seven seals, they reached seven trumpets, they're going to reach, they're going to bring devastation upon the creation. That's the difference between the trumpets and the seals. And God's people are crying out, "How long?" Because they too are the ones who are indeed, are indeed suffering.
0: We hope you are enjoying the podcast, and we want to remind you that everything we do at Determined Truth—the podcast, Rob's blog, and our YouTube channel—is available on the Determined Truth app. Directions on how to download the app is available in the show notes and on the DeterminedTruth.com website. Just click on the app tab. With this, and even going back to your comment about God inflicting pain and suffering in an eight-year-old girl who dies or something like mm-hmm. that. I guess one of the popular ideas would be that the seals trumpets balls. Uh, these are God's wrath on the world because John is using specific language that suggests that God is the cause. Mm-hmm. God is in charge and he's, he's the sovereign one who's doing all these things. Uh, so why would that be a problem if that's the type of language that we're seeing?
1: Yeah, so... John is using prophetic language, and it's not uncommon in prophetic language to attribute to God sovereignty, because God's yeah. sovereign. So you're going to see a phrase in the Greek text that you might recognize, dothe, which means to give, and it's the heiress passive. So it means it was given. And you'll see it throughout this passage here, it was given to him a sharp sword. It was given to him a crown or a bow. It was given him. And it was given as a, what we usually call a divine passive. And what that means for uh, everyone else's sake is that the it was given means, well, given by whom? And the answer is by God. It's just a, a, an assume that the, that the agent who was doing the giving was God. The point of that is humanity is not running amok without God's sovereign control over it in the sense that he's limiting it. So at the same time, you're the souls under the altar going, how long? Oh Lord. And God's like, okay, I do have this under control. The nations haven't repented yet, so more of you have to die still, so I'm going to delay my coming because of my mercy for the nations, but they're not running totally out of of amok, where they can do anything they want, and sin and devastation are are out of control. I'm still in control of this. So you see this, for example, now in the prophets, where the prophets will say that God brought uh, destruction, and God's going to carry the Israelites out of the land and God's going to kick you out of the land. And even says in Leviticus, the land's going to vomit you out. But then you read Kings and Samuel and the prophets and you're like, Oh, Babylon did it. And the reality is, yeah, God brought Babylon Mm -hmm. and Babylon was an agent of God. So did God do it or did Babylon do it? Well, Babylon did it, but God's in sovereign control. And I think that's what you have happening here. Would you even say then? And I don't know if I know
0: even how to ask this question, the point of what we're seeing in revelation is not necessarily the, the technical term would be a theodicy. Um, right. So the, 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 term theodicy is describing kind of like the justification for why God allows bad things to happen. Uh, and there are books that seem to address that like Job, uh, the story of Job, Amos. Amos, Yeah. 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 Yeah, These deal with theodicy. And it, it is kind of wrestling this with these questions of why is God allowing these things to happen? Right. What I'm hearing you saying, and you correct me if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm misinterpreting it, Revelation's not dealing with theodicy of it. It's not trying to wrestle with that, even though it might be using sovereign type language. It's just describing something else.
1: It's telling exactly. It's telling a narrative for the first century readers of John, John's readers, who are seeing Nero or or seeing Caesar or Domitian or whoever's the emperor on mm-hmm. the throne, getting his way, and who are being tempted to go, if I compromise, I can eat. If I compromise, I can I can have a job. If I compromise with Rome, I can go ahead and, and get by in this world. And John's answer is, no. Remember Jesus said, don't worry about food or clothing, but follow him. If you give your allegiance to the beast, the beast is going to be destroyed at the end of the day. So I'm telling you right now that God's actually sovereign and he's in control. Now, these things are happening and you're suffering and I get it. But I need you to overcome And I want to encourage you to persevere, because if you do, I'll give you the crown of life. If you do, you're going to eat from the tree of life. If you do, you you won't face the second death. If you do, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. If you do, I'm going to let you sit down with me on my throne, just like I sat down with my father on his throne. And if you do, the nations will come to know the goodness and the greatness of our God. And then guess what? We'll walk in the light of of the new Jerusalem and we will see his face. So hang in there. Overcome and persevere. Remember, they're doing to you what they did to Jesus. Jesus was dead, and now he's alive forevermore, and he has the keys of death and Hades. So don't give in. Hang in. Persevere, because God really is sovereign. That's the ultimate message. And that It's message an exhortation.
0: Is, it's not a defense of God. It's exhorting the people to do so.
1: Exactly. It's exhorting them to persevere and overcome by giving them a revelation of what really is happening, And therefore, stand firm, because in the end, God will reward you, and your sacrificial love, and following Jesus' sacrificial love, will ultimately, ultimately bring the redemption of the nations and redemption of the entirety of creation. It's a phenomenal story, and it's a love story. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And now the love story is, for God so loved the world. He sent Vinny and Rob and all the <laughs> listeners. No, it, 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 I mean it. I mean that though, right? He yeah, sent yeah, yeah, us yeah. Yeah. to do what Jesus did, and we'll see in Revelation eleven the two witnesses. Their death is described like Jesus's death, because remember we said earlier that our voice sounds like the voice of Jesus. Our voice like the sound of many waters, because we are called to imitate Jesus. He was the faithful witness in Revelation one five. Now you go be the faithful witness also. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's a good place to stop.
0: And Mm -hmm. uh, then next week we could actually start jumping into the seals themselves, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. We'll we'll look at the first six seals. Uh, Hopefully next week we'll get through them all. Maybe, maybe take a couple of weeks, but it's important to to flush this out. Yeah. Cool. Uh, That's fun. Do we have any guests coming up at all? Or I think it's just us for a while, right? It's just us for a little while. I think we'll probably get uh, maybe Warren Carter coming up soon. Maybe we'll get Michael Gorman, Scott McKnight in the weeks to come, but we might go through chapters maybe 10 to 13, 13 before we have another guest. Okay, cool. We'll I don't have any more friends, so I, yeah. I've run out. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Okay, everyone, hope you're enjoying this. Keep
0: reading through the book. Uh, read through it every week and uh, just saturate yeah. yourself in it and meditate on it. But uh, yeah, I appreciated your words that you closed out with Rob, and allow this to Thanks. be an exhortation to us mm. because, man, there's it's definitely never as applicable as it is today.
1: Yeah, um, good. And,
0: and so we you know the, the words that we're heating for John's audiences for 21st century America as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's not easy, obviously. It's, this is not easy, but I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. You didn't ask me how I was doing again by the way in this episode. Oh, it's cuz I keep getting emails from people saying they don't care. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 wow.
1: Touche. <laughs> Uh... <laughs> you backed yourself up on that one I <laughs> all right bye everyone i'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that in <laughs> that's <was> funny <laughs> uh,
0: oh, that's good stuff. i'm gonna go cry my wife's not here but my daughter is yes yes all right everyone keep listening we'll see you guys next time to thank you for joining us on today's podcast, and we would love for you to share the work of Determined Truth with others. Please follow this podcast and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast. Then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people.